0: Wednesday morning slash afternoon, wherever you are in the world today. Uh, this is Doug Ferrer of Touchdown Wire in the USA Today Sports Media Group. And the guy over there in the NFL Films uh, hoodie, as he should have on, is uh, Greg Grossella. NFL <laughs> Films, the ESPN NFL matchup. And Greg, we now have uh, two full regular season weeks in the books. So, of course, we can make our empirical statements about everything, as we always do. Absolutely. But- yeah, you start to see trends, you start to see tendencies, and there are things that happen. And uh, in our matchup uh, video slash podcast this week, we have Giants at 49ers Thursday night football. And just Daniel Jones in the first six quarters of the season, 24-44 for 166 yards, no touchdowns, three interceptions. Daniel Jones in the second half and overtime of the Cardinals game in week two, 17 of 21 for 259, two touchdowns, no interceptions. And I noticed that in the first half of the Cardinals game, the passing game was very static. It was repetitive, a lot of straight drops on a pistol with no eye candy. All those explosive passes in the second half had some sort of play fake with Jones under center more often, and the back more deep in the backfield, more run action, and you could see uh, Kazir White, the linebacker, pointing this out on the the Jalen Hyatt catch, which opened the third quarter. It was 12 personnel. Daniel Bellinger was blocking Dennis Gardeck, and Evan Neal pulled to the right. Cardinals kind of got sucked in by that. Um, Just in general, when we talk about, like, first half, second half adjustments, how much credence do you play into that, and what were your impressions of how the Giants' offense looked different in that second half?
1: Well, I thought one change that they clearly made was a personnel adjustment. There was far more 12 personnel beginning in the third quarter. And obviously, you know, they know Jonathan Gannon. um, And and whether he's calling the defense or not, it's it's his defense. Um, So they know him from being in Philadelphia for the last two years. And they probably felt pretty comfortable, Doug. You know this. Coaches end up coaching against coaches. And they probably felt pretty comfortable that if they went to 12 personnel that they would get specific things defensively. I mean, you talked about starting the third quarter with a Hyatt 58-yard play. I mean, that came out of 12 personnel. Hyatt was the boundary X. They went tight bunch opposite that to the trip side of the formation. Um, And they pretty much knew how that would be played. The cards played cover four and the boundary safety, the safety to the side of Hyatt. He's looking inside to trips, which he has to as his initial look. And therefore, you get the one-on-one. You get Hyatt running the deep post versus Wilson. And, you know, and Wilson at that point has no over-the-top help because of the the trip's route concept. So, you know, they knew that. They anticipated quarters with their 12 personnel because you don't call that play unless you have an anticipation that you're going to get Mm -hmm. a deep post without a safety sitting right there. So, you know, I thought they did a really good job with their 12 personnel um, uh, and in the second half, Jones was six for seven for 160 yards on nine dropbacks at a 12 personnel. So that was a change I thought they made. And I don't think you make that change unless you feel pretty confident in what you're going to get.
0: Yeah. They just, they span the Cardinals with it and it worked over and over. So now you move to, uh, the 49ers defense. But <laughs> They're pretty good on defense. Yeah, they are. And uh, it's funny. I was watching Javon Hargraves, uh, snaps in week two against the rams and we we've talked about that you know the the overload that then they love to do with the 3dl on one side and warner is the stand-up front yes yeah and having hard rave in the middle of that 3d l overload is just that should be illegal because he's he's so good uh giants obviously issues with pass pro um but one thing i noticed with um, I don't know if this is a Steve Wilkes thing or a or, or Rams thing. They didn't play a lot of, like, aggressive press or right on the receiver coverage against, you know, Atwell and, and, and Nakua and these speed receivers and this free access that uh, Sean McVay is dialing up with these new quick-fast guys that we've talked about. Um, is there a way you think that the Giants can sort of replicate that to keep the the more aggressive press coverage off them as the Rams seem to?
1: Well, the 49ers are not really a press coverage team. In fact, this was an interesting game for them against the Rams because in the first half, they played what they predominantly are, which is a zone coverage defense. And then in the second half, they chose to play more man and pressure more. So that may well have been a function of that given game. Or again, because it's only two weeks, Doug, we don't know if that's something they'll do more of. You know, you just don't know the answer to that. But as we discussed last week, and you see it more and more and more, is the use of motion. I think you'll see the Giants continue to use motion. I mean, they had a play. uh, Slayton had uh, 29-yard reception on the second, third quarter possession, which came out of 12 personnel, just as I mentioned, and he motioned across the formation. It was the exact same concept that we've seen the Dolphins use with Tyreek Hill and it's not a matter of who the receiver is. We know Tyreek Hill is a great receiver. Um you don't need a great receiver to use motion and 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 give your receiver free access off the ball. It's nice if he's got some speed and Darius Slayton has speed, but it doesn't he doesn't have to be a top 5 receiver in the league. And the same thing happened that happens with Hill. Um Marco Wilson actually turned his head and 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 was looking totally away from Slayton who then caught it with room to run after the catch. So you know, the Giants are starting to use motion. Most teams are starting to use motion. We'll see how the Giants handle this, but you make a great point. The O-line could well be an issue. And as we, you and I speak today on Wednesday, midweek, we certainly don't know if Andrew Thomas is going to play this week.
0: But they would you – know, I think Glowinski, Brian Dable mentioned that Glowinski got, I don't know if I want to say benched, but he was out and then came back in, and he gave up, I think, three sacks in week one. So – so you know, he problem. did not play this week, or he did not. Yeah, the, he, yeah uh, there was something about yeah, that. Yeah. I don't want to say bench because I don't know if it was an injury thing or not. But their the point is their O line is in trouble. Uh, Giants defensive line, real quick. No sacks through two games. They're getting really no disruption outside of Dexter Lawrence, who we know is awesome, and Leonard Williams, who was also awesome. Uh, not much off the edge. Uh, what are you seeing from their defense right now?
1: Yeah, their defense is struggling a bit because I, you know, it it doesn't look like a Wink Martindale defense at this point. Right. Um, but I think, you know, and the Niners' offense is a very difficult offense to play against, obviously. Um, their use of motion, you know, unlike a number of the teams we've spoken about, the Niners use motion probably more effectively in the run game. That's really where their motion is a big factor. Not that they don't use it ever in the pass game, but I think in the run game is, is where it's really a big factor. And, you know, that'll it'll be interesting how they run because obviously Dexter Lawrence is a very difficult guy in the middle of the defense, but knowing Kyle Shanahan, he's not necessarily going to say let's run at Dexter Lawrence. They'll do other things and it'll probably be, be effective because I think their defense is struggling a bit right now.
0: Yeah. That's a problem against uh, any Kyle. Anytime you're playing uh, Kyle Shanahan's 49ers and your defense is struggling. That's not a good sign. So moving to the Sunday games, Greg, Bill's at Commanders, and we did, we talked yesterday, and you had some thoughts on Sam Howell or wanted to speak about Sam Howell. Um, so I'll uh, give the floor to you, and then I have some uh, follow-up stats. So you uh, want
1: Yeah, I really like what I've seen from Sam Howell through two games. And keep in mind, he's only started now three games in this league. Uh, but as I remember, Doug, didn't you
0: like him coming out of college? I liked him a lot. I thought if you were, if you were going to focus on his 2021 tape, I thought he had a late first round grade and then he lost both of his running backs, both of his receivers. I think his center was out the whole year with an injury and they basically turned him into a running back. I mean, they had to change their whole offense. So they didn't have any guys, but if you go back and watch how, um, how was 2021 tape at North Carolina, I thought he had first round talent. They just couldn't use it the, the next year. um, and it's funny you say that because I watched both tapes and I know him a little
1: bit and talked to him at the Combine uh, when he came out. And they didn't turn him into a running back. He told me that, hey, I was just I was uncomfortable and I tried to do too much and I just right. ran far too much. It wasn't it wasn't what they did. It was what he right. did. Um, so I think the reason he was a fifth round pick is because in the minds of many, he was viewed as a descending player who's only six feet. So I think those two things made him a fifth round pick because the history of six foot quarterbacks who are essentially pocket players in this league is not great, as you well know. Yeah. Um, So, but I think there's a lot to like on his tape. First of all, he's very tough in the pocket. He is willing to stand and deliver in the face of pressure. He does not flinch at all. Um, He makes throws with bodies around him. He maintains his firm base. He still steps toward his target. He's very, fundamentally driven in the way he throws a football. He's an over-the-top thrower, which you don't see too often anymore with quarterbacks, but that's really important for him in the same way it was important for Drew Brees because when you're six feet, you know, to throw with that three-quarter delivery, which a lot of quarterbacks throw with, uh, that, you know, that hurts you because you're six feet. Um, And he's got a good arm. I think for a guy who's only played, you know, started three games – I think he sees things pretty well. I think he knows where to go with the ball. He doesn't force the ball. He doesn't look hurried in the pocket. Um, I really like what I've seen uh, in two games, these two games uh, from Sam Howell from this season.
0: Yeah, I got my years mixed up by his 2020 tape in college. Right. one that you want to watch and then 2021 it all changed and you know <laughs> uh good point about him sort of turning himself into running back up the 30-yard touchdown to Terry McLaurin with 1153 left in the third quarter which will be uh, in the matchup show this week by oh, the way cool. so he ran what I thought was that a post he, against quarters everyone's converging on it Howell throws this beautiful deep pass and the thing that I like was he sort of moved to his left to get a clear spot yeah he had a
1: really comfortable
0: subtle but comfortable pocket movement that's the kind of thing you like to see. I'm I you know I was a Sam Hallow guy before, as we've noted, but um yeah, it, it seems to be Well, I'm event. breaking
1: down that play in the matchup show this week so people can see exactly what that play was. Um cool. yes, so uh
0: yep. So uh Bill's defense. We all thought that was Sean. You and I talked about this in the offseason. Talk Sean McDermott's gonna take over the Bills defense from Leslie Frazier. We're gonna see a lot more blitzes. Oh, contraire, Mon frere. Through two games, they ranked 30th in blitz rate, only the Steelers and Panthers have blitzed a lower rate. And this is interesting because uh, when you look at how his explosive passing plays for two weeks, nearly all of them have come against five or more pass rushers. Now, a lot of those plays came against the more standard five-man fronts against the Cardinals, Jonathan Gannon, or four-man fronts with the linebacker in the middle, so it wasn't necessarily blitz. But he's really good at mitigating pressure and taking a profit when he's disrupted, he's not out there like playing hero ball when the stuff isn't there, and that's kind of the other thing I like about where he is. You're still talking
1: about Sam Howell, yeah? Oh, okay. God, yeah, because you mentioned the Bills D. Um, the Bills D is hard to get a feel for after two games because of who they played against. so it's it's a little difficult to know that for sure what what Sean McDermott wants them to be. But you know, I think that the uh, this offense that they'll face uh, is is pretty good. They 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 are committed to running the ball. They certainly don't have an explosive back, but Brian Robinson is a, is a strong physical competitive runner. He can be a sustaining back and they obviously have three really good wideouts who can line up anywhere in the formation. Um, So, uh, you know, I think it's, I think it's a well conceived offense and we'll see how, how it continues to play. I mean, this is, this is one of the more intriguing games to me of week, uh, week three, the, uh, the bills at the uh, commanders.
0: Um, it, it's two weeks in, so it's hard to say early, but have you seen any sort of common characteristics, characteristics between what, uh, the chief's offense and what the Commanders doing with Eric Bieniemy moving over? Or is it too soon to kind of look at that? You know, I haven't really
1: thought of it that way when I watched, cause you know, uh, I wasn't thinking as schematically, I was thinking more in terms of, you know, watching how closely sure. and so, yeah, that's
0: hard for me to answer to be honest. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Chargers at Vikings. Speaking of defenses that don't always, <laughs> we've talked about this out with Brian Flores. You never know what you're going to get. You don't Week went against the Buccaneers, the Vikings had a light box on 37% of their defensive snaps, which ranked 28th in the league. Against the Eagles last Thursday night, they had a light box on 63% of their defensive snaps, which led the league. And we all saw that five-man umbrella with Big Nickel over and over, which the Eagles just ran all over for 259 yards and three touchdowns on 48 carries, which makes sense. If you get a bunch of light boxes, you run the ball right down their throat. Now, the Chargers have run the ball this season 61 times for 294 yards and three touchdowns. Both Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly have played well. So you kind of wonder what Flores' strategy is going to be this time around.
1: It'll be interesting because, you know, clearly last week against the Eagles, he he did not want to get beat by the pass, and he got beat twice, obviously, uh, on, on long passes. One Both
0: were on blitzes, I believe.
1: Yeah, I think this touchdown to Smith, there had to be some kind of bust involved. Um, yeah. I don't know if the first one was a bust because, you know, Theo Jackson was right there, but the second one, there was some kind of bust involved on the second one. So you don't know, you know, he's playing against a Chargers core of receivers that they have four of them that are all six, two or larger. Okay. So how does he feel about matching up to those guys? I got the impression he wanted to sort of, you know, protect his corners against the Eagles against two really good wideouts and Smith and AJ Brown and, you know obviously chose to play a certain way which the eagles then exploited um but I, you know again it's 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 almost impossible to figure out what Ryan Flores is going to do he could come out this week and say the heck with it i'm just going to pressure all the time you never know and because yeah. he, he certainly in his background as a as a coach he has done everything and i don't think we have enough time this season with two games to say I feel comfortable he'll do this. You know, I don't think we know that. So I think that you're going to see the Chargers offense under Kellen Moore kind of have to work through the game, just as the Eagles offense did last week when Brian Johnson brilliantly then understood exactly what he was getting and made the necessary in-game adjustment. I think Kellen Moore is going to have to end up doing something similar.
0: Yeah, it was not a Jalen Hurts game for sure. What have you seen from Herbert under Kellen Moore in the first two weeks? I don't I mean, again, without going into the exact concepts,
1: I don't think the offense.
0: Do you see more comfortable? Is there more of a deep ball? Do you see any difference? No, it
1: looks exactly the same to me. Um, You know, again, without I don't want people to say, well, no, the route concepts are different. I don't mean the route concepts. I just mean the fact that they don't really attack very much intermediate and vertically. Um, You know, it still to me looks very, very much the same in the overall conceptual underpinning. Now, again, that could all change. Uh, I could be missing something, uh, but, you know, I, I don't see this right now as a truly explosive pass game, which I think a lot of people expected, you know, when, when, you know, because Joel Lombardi came under attack and, you know, I have my thoughts on that, which we don't need to get into now, but right. he became an easy guy to rip and, uh, you know, we'll see. If, whereas Kellen Moore seems to have a very good reputation. So we'll see how this
0: plays out over time. Yeah. Um, speaking of offensive coordinators who are really getting it right now, <laughs> it's not all his fault. Luke gets, of the bears. So we have bears and chiefs. And by the way, the on-off splits for the chiefs defense with Chris Jones are as preposterous as you would expect. Like it's, it's otherworldly. So good for them that, that uh, they have Chris Jones back. So fields. Um, I mean, I've, I've written a tape piece on it. I, you know, I just, I, I want to get your thoughts on where this passing game is, and who's responsible and what you've seen, because I feel like I've already sort of, you know, dipped the well there. Well,
1: I think they basically run what everybody runs. And I think when receivers are wide open and, and the plays work that the quarterback has to deliver the football. So I, I don't know what's in Justin Fields' heads, but, head, but I would say that um, elimination and isolation to use my term is one of Fields' major issues. He gets stuck on his primary read player or side of the field, depending on the route concept. And he just doesn't have a natural feel to want to eliminate it and progress to the next read. Um, I think there are times I feel like he's looking right where he should be looking and the receiver is open. And for whatever reason, he doesn't turn it loose. So something is not registering. Some synapse is not firing for him to turn it loose. Um, So, you know, I would say that Right now, based on two weeks, I would say that Fields is really struggling just to in, – in those areas I just mentioned. You know, mm-hmm. like I said, you never know. Uh, I mean, they had a play last week which has been shown over and over and over again, which they ran eight-seam, and the, the the running back was wide open running the seam. Eight-seam is half-back seam, and it appeared he looked right at him and he didn't throw the ball. Only yeah. he could tell you why he didn't throw the ball. I can't tell you that.
0: Yeah. Um, and it's not, you know, <laughs> he seems to be, I mean, and, and we're doing this Wednesday morning. I just watched the start of this press conference and he said, I'm thinking too much. I'm not just do it. Well, yeah, obviously, um, and they came out against the Buccaneers with some nice vertical concepts. They had a 33-yard and a 31-yard. That was the yard. first play of the game, absolutely. Yeah, first, first and third offensive play for the Bears. And actually,
1: he read the coverage well on that play. Yes. I mean, he read coverage, delivered the ball with timing. It was a dagger concept, and which means there's an inside vertical and an outside dig. And, and he threw
0: the deep dig to Moore. I mean, he did a really good job there. So this wasn't entirely disastrous. I wonder if it's almost like the script, the first 15 or the first 20, it's like, that's where he's comfortable. And then he, he has to think too much. So he starts to think too much and then everything just kind of falls apart.
1: Yeah. And I mean, three of the sacks, I think he was sacked five times,
0: maybe something um, like that. he led the league with 55 last year. So yeah.
1: Three t- of the sacks in this game were on him, you know, where he just held the ball and held the ball. Um, he was sacked four times in the first half and only one of the sacks resulted from pass rush pressure. The other three, the result of fields not processing or seeing or
0: whatever it is. And, and he did not make the throws that were there to be made. Are you surprised at all? They're not using more design QB runs for him because if I were, and I'm not blaming Getze for, you know, I don't know, but if I were Luke Getze, I would be, spamming whatever Shane Steichen is doing like all the time, both for Hertz last year and for Anthony Richardson this year. some really cool. Well, uh, again, uh, now
1: we we get into a larger discussion, Doug, of of quarterback play in the league. And there's no question more and more quarterbacks like Richardson theoretically feels Hertz falls into this category that come into the league that have running ability. And you like to be able to use and deploy that running ability. The question is, how much do you want to do that? And at what point does a quarterback have to become an efficient pocket player? Now, again, efficient is a relative term. My guess is, even if if Justin Fields really progresses the way we hope he does so that he can become a good player, he's not going to reach the level of Tom Brady or Drew Brees. And maybe he doesn't need to. He probably doesn't. But the question is, where's the balance there? How do you teach a guy to play from the pocket, which you have to do at some point in this league, at some point you do? So how do you teach that if you're not working on the the traits and the details and the nuances that lead to that kind of efficiency? So I don't know the answer to this, but there's a balance there, and Mm -hmm. it's easy to say, oh, let's run him because that's what he does really well. But, you know, you can't just run him on every play. And when it's third and eight and he needs to make a precise throw, even if it just gains nine yards for a first down, he needs the traits to be able to make that throw.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the thing. You you want to – and maybe that's what they're doing with him and that maybe that's why he's so uncertain is because they're trying to – develop him as a pocket quarterback and that's just not where he's comfortable yet. And that's where these sort of freeze. Right. So
1: again, now it gets down to the particular coach and the particular player and the relationship between the two and how you build that trust and comfort. And so it does work eventually, you know, because if it doesn't work eventually it's it, it it ultimately won't work. You, You know, you have to make throws from the pocket in this league at some point.
0: Yeah. And I don't, you know, I, it's not like Luke Getzi is doing nothing but ice around. I mean, he's designing things that should work, and they're not complicated. You
1: know, I hate using no. that term; that's not the right term. They're they're things that everybody runs, in which the reads are pretty well defined. You know, it's not as if he's you watch the tape and you and you don't say to yourself, "Man, I'm not sure what's that play? Where should the ball go?" You know, they're they're <laughs> doing what everybody does. You know, as you and I both know there's not a thousand route concepts. You know, most, most teams run the same things. It's just how they get to those things.
0: Yeah. Um. There's been a lot of hue and cry over the, the three play sequence that ended with Shaq Barrett's uh, pick six where, Oh, they're running screens on three straight plays. I'm like, yeah, yeah I don't okay. get into
1: that. And Shaq Barrett made a great play. Yeah, he I don't, get, a great I don't play. get into that stuff. No.
0: And, well, the reason I bring it up is Levante David said, that, well, we identified that because they ran the same play. Like, Well, first of all, Defenses identifying what offenses do happens a lot more in the NFL than you think. And the fact that they ran three straight screens, well, the, you know, like the route concepts were different. The receiver uh, right. distribution and location is, I love, you know, your one of your favorite things. The, the reality
1: different. is, Doug, is that coaches know pretty much what, what the other team's doing all the time. You know, yeah. if you talk to coaches, they're not surprised by things, you know, particularly coaches who've been coaching a long time. You know, th- that's the way this – it works. You're not fooling people. You're out executing them. You're maybe doing a little tweak that makes that just takes something a half second longer for someone to recognize. But, you know, you're not winning because you're fooling people or gimmicking people, you know, so I don't get into that kind of stuff at all because to me sitting here and watching tape all day, that is not really relevant to the conversation.
0: Yeah. And it wasn't like they're running, you know, the same personnel package and the same little, you know, dinky, whatever It, it, it was there was a screen read yeah but okay you're backed off in your own end zone you just want guy get, made a
1: phenomenal play
0: yeah he made a phenomenal play um Monday night football one of two Monday night games uh which makes our head hurt kind of uh but eagles at Buccaneers and we discussed last week and this wasn't a Jalen hurts game because they ran the ball 500 times we know this week one we discussed Jalen hurts you said Jalen hurts isn't you know always identifying kind of seeing things that we'd want he and didn't thought, week one. In the interception, the interception against the Vikings was uh, in week one against the Buccaneers. Brian Flores called 14 mug looks, two extra defenders lined to either shoulder of an interior offensive lineman, mostly the center. Those two defenders dropped into coverage 11 times. So this was a thing in week one. It was a thing in this interception. Jordan Hicks and safety Theo Jackson bookended Jason Kelsey, both dropped into coverage. It looked like Hertz was... Trying to hit Smith on deep end and you completely kind of missed Jackson. Like, why didn't you see that? Can't answer that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
1: I and, mean, just from know, what
0: you saw on the play and and I mean it was third
1: and 16, and yeah. the Vikings rushed four. Okay. They started with a double mug front look and a five-shell coverage look on the back end. That's what they started with. Okay. Mm-hmm. They ended up with a four D line pass rush and loose cover two, because it was third and 16, okay? The Eagles ran dagger, and dagger, as we said a moment ago, is an inside vertical and an outside dig. So he forced the dig ball to Smith with absolutely no window, okay? Jackson was the underneath hook defender getting depth. He was playing the down and distance um, because it was third and 16. So he got far more depth in his drop than you would normally get as a cover two underneath hook defender. But like I said, it was third and 16, and then – Uh, I think it was Bynum. It might have been Bynum who was the cover two safety to that side. He was in position as well to make the interception. So just like we talked about with Fields, only Jalen could tell you what he saw and why he threw it. Obviously, it should not have been thrown because two guys could have intercepted that ball.
0: So, you know, but that's what happened on the play. Yeah, um, Todd Ball's defense. In short, what challenges do they present? Huh. I, don't, I don't assume with Vita Vea you're going to run the ball 48 times. So that's probably not going to happen.
1: Well, that was a specific. You know, again, yeah, I, I think Brian Johnson should get a ton of credit because of what he did as a first-year offensive coordinator in the NFL. Because, as we mentioned a moment ago, when you play Brian Flores, you don't know what you're going to get until the game starts to play out, and he then recognized what he was going, what he was getting and he made the necessary adjustments so it was not a Jalen Hurts game because they just kept running inside zone against basically a five-shell, deeper coverage look, and they were just gashing them with zone. Um, So that was just a great adjustment, and the goal each week is to win the game. The goal each week is not for Jalen Hurts to throw for 350. The goal is to win the game, and they won that game in the way that was required. Now, getting to bowls. Bowls is maybe the best in the league with zone pressures. Mm-hmm. And so people understand there's a difference between zone pressure and man pressure. A lot of teams blitz and they play man coverage behind it. Those are man pressures. Balls is phenomenal at zone pressures where you play some form of zone match behind it. At some point you do have to match, but it's not man in the sense of the way people think about man. It's more zone match based on the how the routes develop. And he's a master at overloading your protection based on his breakdown of how you protect.
0: So you have to be aware of that when you play the Bucks. Yep. Uh, moving to the Buccaneers quarterback situation, which <laughs> this is my note, my, my first notes on Baker Mayfield after watching him this morning. He looks like he's been in Dave Canales' offense for five years. He had one uh, completion to Godwin, where Godwin was his third read. I'm like, wow, you are. Uh, and I've always felt that Mayfield was best in 11 personnel, just based on my study. This season, he has 48 dropbacks in 11. He's completed 31 of 44 passes for 324 yards, 216 air yards, and all three of his touchdowns. But he also has two explosive plays out of 12 personnel. So just your impressions on this offense in well. general and how Mayfield is playing within it. There's a couple of things
1: that really stand out when you watch them through two games. And keep in mind, that's all we have. Maybe people listening are just going to say, oh, Mayfield will become Mayfield, you know, and then it'll be bad, you know, and and that they could say that and maybe that'll happen. But all we have is two games under Dave Canales. That's what we have. So what is standing out in the past game? A couple of things. Number one, they're very protection based, Mm -hmm. which is very smart with Mayfield because Mayfield is the kind of quarterback that the longer he's in the pocket, the less comfortable he gets. His feet start to get jumpy. He loses his base and his mind works too fast and he loses clarity of what he was of what he's seen. So what do you have to do with Mayfield? You have to put him in a position, dog, where he can play with rhythm, where he can hit the back foot and the ball can come out. So protection becomes critical and they are doing protection first in, in terms of bodies, in terms of alignment. Okay, we've seen tight ends in the backfield. Okay, they want to protect him. And uh, number two, the other thing that to me has really stood out is the use of Godwin. Godwin, a year ago, led the NFL in targets and receptions out of the slot. Mm -hmm. This year, he's actually lined up outside more than the slot through two games.
0: The play I was talking about, he was outside of that three by one. Say that again? the play I was talking about, he was outside on a three by one and he came in and I think he was Mayfield's third read. So that, that, well, yeah, he, and
1: he caught a 24 yarder on second and 10 on their second possession. where well, again, dagger, everybody runs dagger. And it was a classic case of what I'm talking about. Otten started in the backfield. He was able to release through the line because it just turned out to be a four man rush. Um, And so So Mayfield was comfortable, and he was able to throw with great timing, which is what we've seen through two games. And Godwin ran the the dig route, and he just put it right on him with great anticipation. And that's what we've seen through two games. And, of course, Mike Evans is as good a boundary X receiver as there is in this league, and he's off to a great start, and he's a tough cover. And it'll be interesting in this Monday night game with Avanta Maddox out what Mm -hmm. the Eagles decide to do in the slot and how that might impact what they do on the outside – because I thought Josh Job played very well last week, playing outside in place of Bradbury, and we may see Bradbury in a slot and Josh Job staying outside. I don't know the answer to that,
0: but we'll see. I think Job's probably a better press corner, aggressive man corner than Bradbury. I would agree Bradbury with that. Or a technician, yeah. Job is more yeah. of a get your hands on a guy and,
1: and yeah, Bradbury. he's feisty, he's competitive, um, he's aggressive. Whereas Bradbury, obviously, very smart, aware of concepts, really you know, knows how to play zone. You know, Job's not there in those areas yet, but he's a very aggressive man corner.
0: Yeah, on the touchdown to Evans, Mayfield said, well, Mike's the best go ball, you know, go up and get it receiver in the NFL. So I'm just throwing it up there. (laughs) It's good to know what your guys do best.
1: Yeah, I mean, Mike Evans, you know, he's rarely talked about, uh, but I think he's had nine years in a row of a thousand yards, which I don't believe anyone in the history of this league has done.
0: I think he's the only guy. Well, Greg, uh, great stuff and interesting matchups for uh, for week three, my goodness, coming up. And uh, real quick, uh, tell us what you and Darius and Sal Powell be doing on NFL matchup. Yeah, there's an odd week of games. I mean, there's
1: not, you know, what you, I mean, to me, every matchup's intriguing, Doug, but m- many might not think this is a great week of games. But, you know, we mentioned the Monday night or Philly at Tampa. That's in our show. Um, we're going to take a look at Dallas's uh, pass rush. You kind of have to. Yeah. <laughs> And it's not just Micah Parsons. People need to understand it's far more than that. Yes, he can win 101. He lines up in multiple spots. But they do a lot of things with their front. Dan Quinn does just a terrific job. Um, so it's 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 scheme and people. And, and scheme is arguably just as important. Um, you know, we're going to look at New Orleans Green Bay. Jordan Love, even though they lost last week, he's played very well through two weeks. Yep. Um Atlanta and Detroit is actually a very intriguing week three matchup. And I'm going to take a look at Bijan Robinson, who, you know, I've been doing this a long time and I'm probably a little jaded, but he's a really fun watch, Doug. That yeah. guy, for a guy who's, you know, he's not 185-pound scat back, but he's got ballet-like feet. They are so light. So I wanted to take a look at him and the kinds of run. I'm looking at a particular run that they've run five or six times through two weeks, which I found really interesting. And I think it's difficult to defend. Um,
0: Atlanta's defense, by the way, is officially under the radar feisty at this point.
1: Yeah, they just don't have what you'd call that one big-time pass rusher, but it's a very good defense. You're 100% right. Um, uh, Chargers-Minnesota, even though it's 0-2 versus 0-2, that is a fascinating game, which uh, Darius is going to take a look at in the show. And we're going to look at Carolina and Seattle. You know, Seattle came back really nicely after the clunker week one. I actually think Seattle's a good team, and I'm really curious to see how this year progresses for them.
0: Great stuff. As always, Greg, we'll uh, be talking more matchup stuff next week. Everyone DVR NFL matchup on uh, ESPN over the weekend, and we'll talk to you uh, next week at the same time. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it.